Good morning. We're going to the book of Ephesians this morning. I was asked this morning if we were going to be in Ephesians, and I said, of course. Matter of fact, we are on sermon number 10, and we've made it all the way down to verse 9. So I think you might want to set a bookmark there. Uh, We're going to be back several more times before we can uh, finish this chapter, of course. It's a good chapter, though. It's an excellent chapter. You know, last week we talked about forgiveness in the last couple of weeks, and those are good things for us to study, that we are forgiving as Christ has forgiven us, and that's a, that's a powerful uh, explanation in God's Word that we be that way. And to some, that's a confusing thing. Today we're going to talk about the will of God. And to some, that is a confusing thing. And so today we're going to focus especially on verse number 9 where it says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him. So, let's ask for His help as we dive into this passage here today. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Where would we be? without an understanding of you. You have laid it out so clearly for us, and you have preserved it, that we might have it today. Thank you, Lord, so much for this. What a gift we have. As Dale just mentioned in prayer, we've been given a treasure, one that we ought to share with the world around us. So, here we are this morning, gaining that information we need that we can take and share with others. So, help us in our study today to keep our eyes set on you, to understand your word, to apply it to our own lives, that we might be able to share it with others too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, verse number 8, I told you last week, verse number 8 is working something like a hinge in between two great principles. Uh, It says in verse number 8, it speaks of him uh, lavishing us, and according to verse 7, that's his grace. The riches of His grace, which He has lavished on us. And He did that with all wisdom and insight, right? Yes, good. Because I could go back and start all over again. Alright? But we did see that. We did see that. Uh, our forgiveness. He, he lavished that on us with all wisdom and insight. Was it a mistake that God forgave you? No, it's not. Was he being careless with his grace? No. Did he overlook something? No. Did you get away with it? And the fact that uh, he didn't notice what you might have done? No. We saw that last week. I had a professor at uh, Moody. Wonderful teacher. Excellent teacher. We We had to write papers for him usually three papers a semester. And um, when we would receive them back, it looked like a rubber stamp. Very good, A minus. Almost every paper, very good, A minus. Stamped right up there, and we thought, you know, he's not reading these. Some of them got brave enough to test whether or not he was reading them. And in the middle of their papers, they started to write butterflies and their love for pancakes and all these other things. And you know what? They found out next week in his lecture that he did read these papers. 
Sometimes we, we almost think that way with God, don't we? We ask for forgiveness, and maybe he doesn't know the whole story, and we're going to get away with this. And yet he does know it all. And that's the whole point of what we saw last week, is that he knows what we have done. He, he knows what we have done. He, he knows our motives. He knows our circumstances. He, he knows our heart. He knows all the parts that are included in sin. And yet he also knows what he did. He knows what Christ did. He knows how Christ did it. He knows why Christ did it. He knows how much Christ did and how it applies and how it lasts and how it covers and how it overflows. He knows all that, doesn't he? That's why that was such a good passage to see. In regard to his grace, in which he has forgiven us, God knows it all. In wisdom, and in knowledge, and in insight, he has lavished his grace upon us. And I like that so much. Because that's the way God works. You see, everything he's done for us has been according to wisdom. An insight. Everything we've studied in verse number 1, 2, 3, all the way down here to verse number 9, is, is what he has done for us, is according to wisdom and insight. That's important for us. And I, I stress that point especially. I want to impress it upon you. It's essential that we know that God is active in our lives. Every single detail, every single part, he knows and yet, look what he's doing for us. Look at his investment in us. Even knowing us so well. I was listening to a psalm this morning. When I was waking up, I push on my little uh, player and listen to a psalm. And it mentions, he knows that we are but dust. He knows. And yet he loves us, doesn't he? Psalm uh, 139 just has these words. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and you laid your hand on me. Such knowledge. i just like to always stop right there. Such knowledge. It's too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. You know, I feel sorry. When I study church history, I feel sorry for the old deist. Perhaps you know what a deist was. They, they had this uh, understanding that God does not intervene in the course of this world, in the functioning of this world. God doesn't in, intervene in any way. He just lets it run. We used to use a, the illustration of winding up a clock and just letting it go. And the old deists thought that way. And yet, what was funny about it was that they were prominent in the Age of Enlightenment. And that's not very enlightened at all, when you think it through. They just thought that God didn't even care. And I've always thought, who did they go to when they were hurting? Who did they turn to uh, when they needed forgiveness? If their God didn't care, who comforted them in the midst of their sorrow? Who did they turn to? Who cheered their mornings? Who's the one who, who gave them a brand new day to rejoice in? Who did that? You know, I'm not sure I'd like to even sing their hymn book, would you? What did they sing about? 
Oh God, you don't care. You wound us up and let us go. I don't know what you do with that. You know, that whole belief system is based on a lie. That God doesn't care. Because scripture says to cast all our care upon him because he cares for you. Do you believe that? He cares for you. That's what this, you could write that as at the end of every single verse we've studied so far. He cares. He's investing in you. Constantly investing in you. And if you're not convinced of that yet, you will be today. Because verse number 9 is powerful. What God is, is saying here, He's active in your life in every detail. He's orchestrating it into a perfect conformity with His design. Perfectly. And I think our study will break through our hearts when we resist understanding Him. We're going to the other side of the hinge when it talks about His wisdom and His insight. We're going to look at the mystery of His will here in verse number 9. And some people say, well, that is mysterious. His will, I don't understand His will. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't see it. I don't know what to, I've asked for it, but I don't know what His will is. I personally like a good detective story. I, I like to, to uh, study mysteries and read of them. Matter of fact, I'm always disappointed with the last chapter because it's solved. That may sound strange, but I like the suspense where you don't know the answer and you can still keep guessing. But when you get to the end, it's like, uh, okay. Um, but mysteries, to most people, equate something that's unsolvable. There's no answer. It's a mystery. It's, there's just no answer to it. Uh, I want you to see today that God's mystery is not unsolvable. Matter of fact, it's already been revealed. Look carefully at verse number 9. He made known to us. What does that say? Right there. It's revealed, right? He made known to us the mystery of His will. It's already been revealed. You see, we've seen three things already in this paragraph from verse 3 on of what God has done for us. In election, He chose us. Verse number 4 tells us, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In verse number 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons. He's made us his child. In verse number 7, He has redeemed us. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He set us free, and He forgave us too. So, when we get down here to verse number 9, this is the fourth thing that is in the category of what He has done. Fourth thing He has done for us, and that is what I call revelation. Not the book of Revelations. But revelation, he has made known to us. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, maybe you start already because of the word will and the mystery of the will and stuff. Maybe you start a little bit with resistance. As we mention these words and you're about to, to study it with me, um, you might say, but I don't know his will. I have no idea what he has for me to do. There are people like that. I remember frustrating days like that 
when I was in college and just before. I didn't know. Um, God hasn't told me anything. You're waiting for an email? What, what do you think? We used to say, waiting for a letter in the mailbox, but we've got to update that. You're waiting for an email, a little text to pop on the phone to say, God tells you to do this. What are we waiting for when we're, we're frustrated and looking for something? You say, I pray and I pray and I pray, and I know those stories of praying and praying and, and doing it a lot of times. There must be reasons why we don't know. There must be. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons that very well might be why we think his will is unknowable. Now, I'll have to start with this one. It's essential that I do so. And if you move over to 1 Corinthians, just a few pages before, chapter number 1, you'll see what I have to say here. But this is first place to check. If you're saying, but I don't know his will, um, check to see if you're saved. Let's be straightforward with you. Check to see if you're saved. You see, Paul told the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, oh, chapter 2, sorry, verse 14, that a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The unbeliever doesn't have the, the privilege of the Holy Spirit within them to teach them spiritual things. The will of God is a spiritual thing, isn't it? And without the Spirit, we can't know it. And some people say, well, I don't know it. I don't know it. I don't know it. So, do you have the Spirit of God within you? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? That's the first place to check. Very first place to check. Because you cannot understand the things of God without the Spirit of God. Simple principle, right? It's just as simple as that. See, the world, the world looks at us Christians and thinks that we're crazy. Used to say they think we should be locked up. Why? Because they cannot understand the spiritual things that you understand. They cannot see what you see. They do not know what you know. And as a result of that, they think you've got the problem. When all the while you understand Scripture, and you see what the Holy Spirit has taught you, and you follow those directions, and the world can't understand that. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, that's our first place to check. If you don't know God's will, and you are totally frustrated with understanding it, ask that first question. Do I really know Christ as my Savior? That's essential. But there's also other things that might be part of this. Uh, maybe you haven't been studying God's Word. If you're still in 1 Corinthians here, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, oh, here it is, uh, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know, see that, we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but by the but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. We may know, right? It says here, so that we may know. We have the Spirit from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We are taught by the Spirit, aren't we? Now, spiritual maturity, 
And knowledge is not gained by osmosis. You know what that is? Osmosis is a scientific concept called uh, where the spontaneous net movement of solvents and molecules pass through partially permeable membrane into a region of higher solute concentration in the direction that tends to equalize the solute concentrations on the two sides. How you have tried that was to put your biology textbook under your pillow, went to sleep, hoping it all would soak up into your brain during the night. Did it work? Probably not. You wake up and your head's kind of like this for a while because you're not used to sleeping on a book, right? And you say, well, that didn't work very good. But sometimes you think, somehow this material, if I just carry it on my head, it will sift its way down through the skull and into the brain. Do you treat your Bible like that? Some people compare the Bible to a compass. To a compass. If we don't consult it, we get lost, right? And having it in your pocket doesn't do you any good. You must pull it out and read it. Just carrying God's word in your hand is not going to make you spiritually mature. Just having it on the dashboard of your car so it's always ready on Sunday. That's not going to make you spiritually mature. You have to open it. You have to read it. Matter of fact, it even says so in Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. You've got to unfold it, folks. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So if you don't know his will, we could simple troubleshoot this one, can't we? First of all, you may not be saved. Second of all, you may not be coming to the source of wisdom that's been given to you. You haven't been spending time in his word. Or, here's a third option. You're not walking with the Lord. You're not walking with the Lord. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9 speaks of one who, who is not growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And he describes this person as being blind and short-sighted. And he's forgotten his purification from his former sins. And in that description, he, he stumbles around like a man in a room full of smoke. He can't find the exit. He keeps stumbling over the same obstacle over and over and over again. And he's weighed down by the same sins over. He has forgotten that the Lord has forgiven him. And he's wallowing in it. And we've been there, haven't we? That's a person not walking with the Lord. You know, it's kind of interesting to me, but generally, when we're not walking with the Lord, our theology gets very confused. We're not sure which way to think at times, because, but we're not close to our Lord. At the moment of, of confusion, we question His love. We question His will. So if you're not walking with the Lord, you're going to be confused. If you're not reading His Word, you're going to be confused. If you don't even know Him, you're going to be confused when we talk about the will of God. It's one of these three, and there's probably more we could add to this, but I just make it simple today, and those may be the cause why you don't understand his will. They could very well be the cause. Now, the good news is there's something you can do about that. In the book of James, it says these words. If you see it, James 1, verse 21, and verse number 22, he helps us a lot with just a simple phrase here. 
Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And then verse 25. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That brings us back to our main point of Ephesians. Have we been blessed? Yes. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, we have been thoroughly blessed. Now, we spend our time in that. We understand it because God has revealed it to us. God has revealed it to us. So let's go back and look at this mystery. Uh, In Ephesians 1 verse 9, He has made known to us the mystery of His will. And if it is made known, it is no longer a mystery to us. It is no longer a mystery. Let's dissect it just as much. All right? First thing to note, in Ephesians 1, verse 9, He made known. Now, grammatically, we call that a participle, which means it it cannot just sit there all by itself. In a grammatical sentence, it has to attach to the main verb. So, I always see that, and I say, well, I've got to go find the main verb to see what it's hanging on. And I started to work my way through here, and if I back up, usually that's the direction I go, When I start backing up, the main verb was, he lavished on us. Speaking of his grace, the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, in verse number 8, in all wisdom and insight. We're speaking of his grace. We see how his grace has given us forgiveness. But it's also appropriate to hang on that, the revelation of his will, too. It's proper in grammatical circles to say it this way. See, God doesn't choose to leave His children in the dark about His will. He tells us what He's doing. It's wise for Him to do so. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. Now, Paul tells us a lot about his will in chapter number 1. Verse number 1, for example, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Did Paul become an apostle because he wanted to be? He was thinking one day, I think I'll be a good apostle. Matter of fact, he was resisting it all the way when the Lord caught him, right? And that was the will of God. It's no different for you or me to tell the truth. Not that he's making us apostles, but what he has for us to do, for us to be, that's his will. What he has called you to be, that's his will. He has done that. Paul testifies to that. He also said in verse number 5 that we've been adopted into God's family by the kind intention of his will. You see it? He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. That's a sweet set of words. Really do we combine kindness with will. And I told you this several weeks ago too. But this again the world does not understand. When they hear the word will, they think dictator. That's what they think. 
Matter of fact, Jude describes them this way. In verse number 4, he describes wicked people who have infiltrated the church as those who consider our Savior, our Lord, as a despot, as a tyrant. They say in English as a master, but the actual Greek word is a despot. That's what they view him as. He's a dictator. He's cruel. He's unkind. He sets up barriers that we can't go beyond. He, he, he governs our life against our, our desires. Uh, that's the way the wicked look at him. That's the way the wicked look at him. They resist his will because they say it's unfair. <laughs> it doesn't give them opportunity to be what they want to be. But we know his will to be kind. We know it to be kind. His will is tied to his wisdom. We see that. His will is tied to his grace. His will has come in a way that has been lavished upon us. His will has come with all wisdom and all insight. And his will is made known to us. That's kindness. That's kindness. Even on the other side of verse number 9, where it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, right? It's kindness. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in him. In kindness. I I have to put those words together. Kindness and will. Kindness and will. It was a kind act on God's part. This past week I was uh, finishing up a book that Spurgeon wrote. One little paragraph caught my attention, especially. His his, uh, chapter was entitled, Things I Would Not Choose. And he goes through a whole list of things he would not choose, and some of them were quite comical, to tell the truth. But this is his last paragraph on the chapter. I would not choose to go where I should be afraid to die, nor could I bear to live without a good hope for hereafter. I would not choose to sit on a barrel of gunpowder and smoke a pipe. But that is what those do who are thoughtless about their souls while life is so uncertain. Neither would I choose my lot on earth, but leave it with God to choose for me. I might pick and choose and take the worst, but his choice is always best. That takes faith, doesn't it? To say and say those words. I would not choose my lot on earth, but leave it to God to choose for me. Is his choice always best? Are you convinced of that? Does he make his choice according to wisdom? Not our wisdom, his wisdom. Does he also make his choice according to kindness? I want you to be convinced of that, okay? I need to be convinced of that. When I read of his will, that's important for us to note as we start this understanding of the will of God. Don't ever, ever separate it from his kindness. Don't ever separate it from his grace. Don't ever separate it from his love. This is his will. And it hangs on those actions that he lavished on us. It has to. Not just grammatically, but in every way it hangs on that. That's the way God works. So that's the first thing I note when I look at this verse. There's a second thing I note as well. He made known to us the mystery of his will. The nature of that verb is that it's complete. He made known. It's complete. His will is complete. It's all 
all-encompassing, if you will. This is not the kind of will that just kind of gets you started and you've got to find the rest on your own. That's not the way God operates when he designs his will. It's not the will that you hope to match. You know, some of us are afraid that we're going to get up into heaven someday and, well, not afraid of that, of course, but we're afraid when we get to heaven that on the wall is going to be this chart of God's will for my life and he's going to set us next to it and see how close we got. You ever think that way? Well, here's the graph of my life, and here's the graph of his will, and boy, they don't look the same. Does that worry you? Some people live like that. Like, I don't know how I'm going to hit it, God. I'm afraid I'm going to miss it, and, and you're afraid you're far away from it. Verse number five of the same passage. I know I keep going over the same ones because they're all tied together. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Now, when did God predestine us and choose us and all these things? We saw it in verse 4. When did he do that? Before the foundation of the world, right? Before you and I had in any, any part of an input. Before we had, you know, discussed it with him and told him our preferences. Before we impressed him with our skills or our good looks or whatever. It, we did not have one bit of influence in that part. Now, that's where it all starts. When we understand our relationship with God, that's where it starts. And it says in verse number 5, where it started, he did it according to the kind intention of his will. Now, jump all the way to verse 11, which we'll get to one of these days. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. This is what we might call the ending place. When we start talking about an inheritance, what he has in store for us. There's a lot of other verses, things there too. But notice that inheritance also has been predestined. Same words that he started with, he's still carrying on at the end, isn't he? And also, this inheritance that we receive is according to his purpose and according to the counsel of his will. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 1, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All that says to us right now is simply this, that our beginning and our very end is wrapped up in the will of God, right? He started it that way, he finishes it that way. It's all wrapped up in the will of God. He's quite active in those parts, isn't he? What about the middle place? Where you're sitting right now. Does he somehow start with his will and say, hey, I'll catch you on the final chapter? And then he kicks back in his will when it finally gets there? Or is he active in his will for you throughout your life? Well, these very good questions. Ephesians 5 will start to give us some answers. Ephesians 5 tells us in verse 15. Verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. Let's just start with 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise 
making the most of your time. That's where you are right now. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. His will is for you to walk wisely in this earth. Alright? Walk wisely in this earth. That's where you are right now. That's His will. Now, are you going to tell me you didn't know that? Has it been revealed to you already? Yeah. Alright. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Is that His will? It's a command. <laughs> it's His command. That sounds like a will to me. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, did you know that already? Yes. That's been revealed to you. Philippians. Let's jump over to Philippians for a minute. You're not that far away. Ephesians, Philippians, next chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you realize that submitting to him and doing his will is his will? Submitting to him is his will. Doing his will is his will. We're called to do that right here. It's because God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I could add Romans 8, a passage you know very well. We know that God causes all things to work together. You know, that's our, our key verse with flat tires and we're late for meetings, right? We like that verse for that. We know that God works all things for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. What is that? Sounds like his will, doesn't it? According to his purpose. And what is his purpose? The rest of the verse reads this way. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's God's will for you. God's will is that you be like Christ. And so he's taking all these episodes in your life, all things, they're working together for a good. What's that good? That good is that we reflect Jesus Christ. You know it? I was riding with one of my elders several, several years ago. Not here, but in another place. And um, we were going out to a restaurant together and going down a good old country road and... Uh, uh, the the front wheel just collapsed all of a sudden. Whatever that part is that breaks and the wheel goes up, you guys know what that is. Uh, one of the joints or something cracked and broke, and all of a sudden, this car goes, boom, down it goes, and, and this wheel's all bent out of place. And he's standing out there looking at the wheel. You know, that always helps. Just look at it. Here, fix it. But we're, all, we're just standing there looking at that wheel, and, you know, a thousand thoughts are going through my mind, and I just walked up behind him and said, I'm watching you. Because, you know, we have a thousand different ways we react, right? And he knew he was being watched. And I, I, I was confident it would be a good response anyway. But this is when these verses kick in and say, well, what good was that? Do you believe that the things that he's doing in your life is conforming you to the image of Christ? The challenges? The good days? Yes. He works it all. Boy, isn't that wisdom. 
He works it all to this one purpose. Why He foreknew you, why He predestined you, that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's His will for you. And it's not just a will for me. It's a will for all of us in Christ Jesus. That we be conformed to the image of His Son. We're going to see in just a few weeks here in Ephesians 1, in verse number 10, matter of fact, boy, that's coming up very quickly, that all things will be summed up in Christ. All things summed up, that the things of mine and the things of yours, they'll all be summed up together in Christ. All the things on heaven, in heaven and on earth, summed up in Him. That's God's will. You're a part of that. See, some people go this way. They, they foolishly think they need to consult God to see what color socks to wear in the morning. Uh, should I take my first step with my right foot or my left foot today? Some people think it's kind of funny. Should I have bagels or Twinkies for breakfast? They think that's God's will. I've got to figure out God's will. You know. Well, I'll tell you what. You start working on what he's already revealed to you. Start working on what he's, he's working in you and what you should be like. Like, being like Christ. Is that going to consume a little time of your day? I, I'm going to put it this way, as kind of a simple way. My guess is, if we're out here to know his salvation, if we're out here to trust him for everything, for all eternity, and if we're called to grow to be like him constantly, we're not going to have any more time to think about our socks. Are we? We're going to be consumed with the things that matter in life. And we're going to be looking to Him and things above. Romans 12 says it this way, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's where we need to be, right? See, His will is complete. It's already written down. He's called us to live according to it. He's revealed it already. Now, those are two things, and I, I stress them in that order. It's a kind will, and it's a complete will. And I've got just one more, and it'll take a minute. And I think this is awfully kind of him as well, too, in verse number 9. And when it says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. That word known is very interesting. It's in a family of Greek words. We put the verb gnosko with it. It's the knowledge gained by experience. It's knowledge gained by a process. It is not instant knowledge, but rather a growing knowledge. This is so kind of him to use this word right here. He has revealed to us in a growing way, in a process fashion, the mystery of his will. I'm glad that is true. Because you don't teach calculus to an infant. They cannot conceive it. It's too much for them to process. Can you imagine if God backed up all his information on will and dumped it in one one uh, serving on you? 
every circuit up here would go. There's no way to comprehend it all. It's too wonderful for us. It's more than we could even swallow if we tried. That's his kindness. His kindness is, he's giving you room to grow. And I like that. What a kind God we have. In wisdom, he knew we needed to grow. Shows me that he's patient. Aren't you glad you've got a patient God? It shows me that he's, he's involved in my life. He, he knows what I can handle. And he gives it to me in measures that, that causes me to trust him. And it gives me room to grow in that. See, that's wisdom in the way he has dispensed his, his will to me. I can trust him with that little piece he gives me today. And that little piece he gives me tomorrow. And when I read the theology of it all, he says, Now, this is the way it is. Now come to know me. And grow in your understanding of who I am. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He gives us that room to grow. Thank the Lord for that. That's kind. That's kind. Now, there's no way in in this morning I could certainly present everything about God's will to you. But that's where we must start. Understand it. It's not a mystery, folks. It's been revealed. It's something for us to grow in. His will is good. His will is, is active in your life. He's not keeping it from you. The mystery has been solved. He's already presented it to you. So what do you need to do with that? Spend time with him this week. Spend time with him this week. Walk with him. Talk with him. Read his word. His will is known. Grow in it. Grow in it. Heavenly Father, you know us so well. Your wisdom is is incredible. Thank you for taking into account who we are. When you have done your great works, you know that we are but dust. And yet you love us, Lord, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing for us to remember. Lord, I, I am very mindful of the fact that during the course of a week, we can get off course quite easily. Not, ju- not just occupied with the events of a, of a busy day. But so often we walk away from our fellowship with you and so often we, we do not consult your word like we should and we're not spending our time growing in it and understanding. And so often, Lord, things of this world weigh us down and even sins entangle us and we get confused. I am so glad you give us a Sunday to come together to get, as a fellowship, as a group, as a family. We read these words again and we're reassured of your love. We're strengthened by your word, and we're motivated, challenged to dig into it deeper, to walk closer to you, to understand more of what you have given to us. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your wisdom, and the fact that you've revealed these things to us and not left us in the dark. You are a great God, and we thank you for your love for us and the privilege to be called your children. Maybe there's somebody here this morning whose heart's been pricked already when they realize, first of all, they may not know you well because they do not know you. If there's somebody here who knows, needs to know Christ as Savior, Lord, you do that work and draw them to yourself. 
as you promised to do. Bring them to yourself, that they may see what a great Savior you are, and they come to learn and trust you too. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for its constant work in our lives, and we give you the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.